Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. there's this time when I could not do math and people said, you can't do math. And they were right because back in high school, I wasn't that good at it, but it's because I wasn't focused. I didn't have my mindset there. And I wanted to get an electronics degree after high school, but everybody kept reminding me, you can't do it. You're not good at math. You're going to fail. And that was hard opposition to face. But the more they told me I couldn't do it, the more I tightened up my belt and said, I'm going to prove you wrong. You see, their opposition to me was uncomfortable, but it was necessary to snap me out of my mathematical laziness, and that moved me into a new position. They pushed me into a new position that would later establish me in a career where I worked in radio for about 20 years, and then it brought me up into a radio ministry that I have today. But I had to face that opposition first to get me on track. And it was a necessary opposition that I now can see. Well, in today's message in 1 Kings 11, I'm going to call this one, The Enemies Who Push Me. And we're going to see that Israel got lazy from Solomon's failure in leadership. And what God was had to do about it was going to get them back where they needed to be. So in 1 Kings 11 and 1, Solomon's heart turns from the Lord. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Last time I showed you from chapter 10, the restrictions that God had put upon the kings of Israel, standards that they were expected to follow, from Deuteronomy 17:16. Let's read that again. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So, in the previous chapter 10, Solomon was building up gold for himself. He was bringing he was buying horses from Egypt. He was doing business with Israel's former oppressor, which was in direct violation of God's commandment here. And just like the Lord had said, it would cause his heart to turn away, just as he started doing in 1 Kings 11. 
Now, I think this is a good time for us to be reminded of the specific terms that the Lord had put in. I think this is a good time for us to be reminded of the specific terms that the Lord put before King Solomon in 1 Kings 9 and 4. He told him, now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel, but if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. So that was from chapter 9, and already here in chapter 11, Solomon was already breaking these terms. He had these wives that caused his heart to turn and follow and turn and follow after other gods. So now we know what kind of trouble lies ahead in the chapters we have yet to get to. Now we know what God is going to do about it. 1 Kings 11 and 5. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Okay, this passage, it specifically tells us that Solomon broke the terms of the blessing by not walking with integrity, just like David did. Apparently, David did walk integrity, and Solomon did not. Now, remember, the Lord said specifically, if you walk before me like your father David did, just like him. But Solomon violated these terms. Now, it seems apparent that since Solomon figured how great a king he was, that maybe he figured I should live like the other kings do, even if it meant disobeying God's commands. Solomon felt like it was okay for him to do it because, well, everybody else is doing it. You hear that today, don't you? 1 Kings 11 and 7. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. So Solomon here built a bunch of worship centers for false gods. Imagine that. Why did he do this? Because all of his foreign wives, non-Israelite wives that he was not supposed to marry, much less 700 of them and 300 of this, and uh, that's a thousand or more wives and concubines, they pushed him. They pushed him into this. Now remember, in verse 2, God said, you shall not intermarry with them. You must not intermarry with them because they will turn your heart after their gods. Now, I want you to notice how the Bible refers to these false gods as the abomination of. It says the abomination of, the abomination of the people of Ammon, the abomination of Moab. So what is an abomination? We ought to ask that question. An abomination is whatever the Bible says is wicked and vile 
and disgusting. You ever seen something that was so gross it made you want to throw up? It made you sick. That's an abomination. An abomination just makes, it's like it's make God, it makes God sick. Now, for Solomon to build these false God worship centers, it was sickening to the Lord. The Lord hated it. He, and so for Solomon to build these false God worship centers, it was sickening to the Lord. Now, may, amazing how Solomon would do all this despite the privilege of having God appear to him not just once, but twice. But that was Solomon's choice to do it. That's the way he wanted to go. Since he had the mindset, apparently, of it's my life, I'll live it how I want to. I will do what I want to do. But now God has to bring in the consequences because Solomon broke the terms. 1 Kings eleven eleven. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Friends, we need to be aware of the fact that God warned him. He warned him that he would do this if he disobeyed and followed other gods. So this did not come as a surprise to Solomon. Solomon was very well aware that God would do this. But now it's done. Solomon turned away, and so God had to act according to what he said he would do. He had to act according to his word. Now, the fact that the Lord said he would not take the kingdom during Solomon's days, and even at that, he wouldn't take the whole thing. He wouldn't take the entire kingdom. But he would leave one tribe to Solomon's son, and all because of David's sake. Look at that. That tells us a lot about how the Lord regarded David. We know quite well that both King David and King Solomon, they both sinned. Now remember, David had his own moments. If you remember, he committed adultery, and he even committed murder. So why did God grant Solomon such a blessing for David's sake, a man that sinned himself. First off, let's remember the terms that God had set for Solomon in 1 Kings 9 and 4. He said, If you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, there it is, integrity of heart and uprightness, as your father David did. So according to the Lord, David walked faithfully with integrity. So how could David have walked with faith, and integrity when we know he committed adultery and murder. How is that walking with faithful integrity? Well, first off, integrity does not mean sinless. That's not what integrity means. Integrity means oneness. It means whole. It means committed. It's together. It's solid one piece. He, God said that David walked with integrity faithfully with integrity faithfully. And the key to, to this is knowing that whenever David sinned, his faithful integrity moved him to repent. I want you to remember what Nathan said when he rebuked David for his sin. In 2 Samuel twelve thirteen. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It took a lot of guts to say that. First, you got to realize it. Then you have to confess it. Oh, I've sinned. I messed up. So what we have here in 1 Kings 11 now is that Solomon built high places 
of worship, worship centers for the false gods of his wives. But he never came to the realization that he was building abominations or that it was something that was wrong that he should repent of. You know, if Solomon had stopped and said, you know, wait a minute, this is wrong. What I'm doing is not right. I need to stop this and I need to stop it right now. If he would have repented of building all those pagan worship centers and knocked them all down, then I think the Lord God would have held up the good end of the deal that he made with Solomon. He wouldn't have had to bring these consequences in. It's just like how when David sinned, but then he repented of his sin. God was from that able to declare David as somebody that walked with faithful integrity, even though David messed up. And you know, guys, that's good news for me to hear because we messed up. We're all sinners here, right? But to think that through repentance, God can regard us as someone who walks with faithful integrity. That's very comforting. Now, there's no way to tell from the text how long, how many years Solomon built all these worship centers for false gods, but I can tell you this much. God was very patient with him while he built those worship centers. And all during that time, God allowed Solomon lots of time to wake up and repent. But because Solomon did not repent of his sin, God finally had to step in and execute judgment that he had warned Solomon about earlier in chapter 9. If you walk before me with integrity and do what I say, but Solomon just wouldn't do it. See, that's the problem. You know, Solomon and David were father and son, but they were very different kinds of people. They were very different. David had to fight for everything he had. Living in the wilderness, he had to scratch a living out of the land. But Solomon always had it pretty good his entire life, living in royalty his entire life. And I think that had a lot to do with why Solomon fell away so much more easily than David did. Solomon did not have those old school scars and calluses that David had been through. Maybe Solomon, we could say he was a little bit spoiled in that respect, but however you want to view it, there's something that happens to people when they're given power, and perhaps Solomon felt that since he was so powerful, that made him okay to live like everybody else did. You know, Israel was supposed to be set apart as holy, set apart as holy, different. But once Solomon listened to the pressure of other people, those wives that got after him, then his priorities got all out of order, and that's when he compromised his standards and disobeyed the Lord God. So now God had to act according to the warning he gave him in chapter 9. If you turn from following me, then I will cut Israel off from the land which I have given them. So now despite the two times that the Lord God appeared to him, God began to execute his judgment against Solomon's sin in 1 Kings eleven fourteen. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king in Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom, because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. That Hadad fled to go to Egypt, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. Okay, this is something about God's character that a lot of people seem to either, they either don't know about it, or they don't want to believe it for that matter, that God would actually raise up enemies against his own people. These enemies here, 
these adversaries. They would become an instrument of judgment against the sin that God's people often commit, especially when they refuse to repent of it. So here's this guy named Hadad, who the Bible says was an Edomite. Now, a little history about the Edomites is that they were the descendants of Esau, who was Jacob's brother, Jacob, who would become Israel. Remember that Esau, he sold his birthright to Jacob over a bowl of stew. He thought, I'm dying, I'm so hungry. But he felt tricked out of his birthright. He said, I'll give you my birthright if you give me that stew. And he felt tricked, uh, he felt kind of fooled by Jacob. And so he hated Jacob for it. And Jacob became father of the Israelites, and Esau became father of the Edomites. And their hatred of each other, it had gone for so many years, the struggles of war for a long time. So when the Bible says that Hadad was an Edomite, you know right away that this guy Hadad had been infuriated to take revenge against Israel, specifically because of what David did ever since he was a boy, not just because of the long-running hatred that had been built into him over centuries of time, but because Hadad saw the days when David and Joab killed a lot of Edomites. And that only inflamed Hadad's vengeance even more beyond what he had already been raised with. So Hadad fled to Egypt to escape David's slaughter, which is how Pharaoh came to know him. 1 Kings eleven eighteen. Then they arose from Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house apportioned food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Taphanes. Then the sister of Taphanes bore him Genebeth, his son, whom Taphanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genebeth was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers, and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead. Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said, But what have you lacked with me, that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he said nothing, but let me go anyway. Now, (laughs) you notice Hadad didn't say, Hey, I want to go pick a fight with Israel. That's why I want to leave. He didn't say that. Hadad kept his intentions to himself, what he was going to do. Now, Remember, part of Solomon's disobedience was that he was doing business with Egypt. And if Pharaoh knew that Hadad was possibly going to go stir up trouble and disrupt their business between Egypt and Israel, then Pharaoh might have locked Hadad up and kept him from going. No, i got good business going with, with Solomon right now. Don't go mess that up. Hadad didn't tell him while he was leaving. He says, I just let me go anyway. So Hadad got out the door without Pharaoh knowing why. 1 Kings 11.23, and God raised up another adversary against him, Razon, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord, Hadadazer, the king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. Now, as if one enemy wasn't enough, here comes a second one. And I want you to notice that two different enemies from different regions, they didn't live in the same place. They waited for years until 
the Lord called them. They did not cause any trouble for however many decades it was until the Lord activated them to cause that trouble. So can you see the timing of all this? They were not allowed to move against Israel, against Solomon, until God said so. Remember, they were raised up by the Lord. It says adversaries were raised up by God. And so they would be used by God for God's plan. These were two separate enemies, different regions, awaited a long time, and now, bam, they are now switched on to become instruments of judgment against Israel. They were going to be used by God to fulfill the terms of the agreement that God made with Solomon back in chapter 9. He said, obey me and things will be pretty awesome, but if you disobey me, then you got trouble. So here comes trouble in Hadad and Rezon, and all these rebels that would join up with them that would increase the numbers all the more. Now, this is quite a thing for us to consider here, is the fact that God has control even over our enemies, and he will use them for his own purposes. You know how people love to quote, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so I shall be saved from my enemies. <laughs> and they they start to believe from that passage and that it's made into a song, I shall be saved from my enemies. They think that God only exists to save them from their enemies. But if you do like Solomon did and you serve false gods, then you got to realize from this passage here that God can actually raise up adversaries against you to bring judgment on those who sin willfully without repenting. That, that word repent, I love to run it. He can raise up adversaries to bring judgment on us, either to judge us or to initiate a change on us. And God can actually bless us through our enemies. You know, David demonstrated the power of God through an enemy named Goliath. So you can see how God blessed Israel through an enemy because Goliath's very existence was for the establishment of David to make David a great warrior before Israel. Likewise with King Saul, that was another enemy of David. God used him to push David. Goliath pushed on David. King Saul pushed on David. That was to get David established where God wanted to move David. God wanted to position David and establish David in a different place. And so these enemies pushed on him. So here in 1 Kings 11, Solomon slid off from where he needed to be. And so God raised up adversaries for the purpose of executing judgment, but also to be a push against Israel to get them to move where God wanted to establish them next. Look at how God can actually bring blessing to us through our enemies. David said in Psalm 23, verse 5, he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Friends, if God is able to save us from our enemies, then whenever an enemy pushes us, then obviously it has to be some kind of godly purpose behind it. Either we fell off into sin and the enemy is sent as an instrument of judgment against us, or that enemy has been employed by God to get us to move into a position that we don't want to move to. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. 
Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set.